curiosity, an honest conversation about the often unspoken stuff in life, and how we find joy and stay present in the midst of it all. This week on the podcast, I'll be talking to Michael Daphne for part two of our conversation about living a generative life. We'll be diving into Michael's travels and how travel has the potential to play a powerful role in our lives. I would love to hear more about your travel. So I know you've done yeah. a lot of traveling for work and now there's sure. this whole um, branch of um, TDG Adventures. And yeah. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about, about that and this connection between um, travel and self-discovery that I kind of see. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't get to travel much, you know, growing up, we didn't have, you know, it wasn't something we got to do a lot. But then, uh, yeah, my first couple trips um, were for Hewlett Packard back when I, before I left the company. And, and so that was my first experience getting to see Singapore up close and Thailand and Japan and Beijing and being in Beijing before, this is before the Olympics in 08. So like, this is like, so there was almost no English at the time. It's like, wow, it's crazy. I was yeah. like, I remember just trying walking through Tiananmen Square and just being like, okay, I have no idea where I am right now. They didn't ease you in. You were like, all right, I'm traveling. <laughs> no, and you would, and too, yeah. And like, remember, like my one of my colleagues and I, we uh, we decided we're going to go see the Great Wall, and so it's like a two and a half hour drive out from Beijing to go to that area that's nearest the nearest to Beijing. <laughs> and like at the time, your only hope was you had two cards that were written by the concierge of your hotel. One said, "Please take me here." One said, please take me back to the hotel. But you assumed that's what it was. And that's, <laughs> and that's all you had because you literally, there'd be no help for you. Wow. <laughs> I kind of so, love that though. I think that's yeah, cool. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. And there was those moments. I mean, I remember being with one of the sales guys over there and he was just, he was so excited just to have an American to hang out with. So next thing I know, I'm being, I thought we were going to have a meeting. I'm getting swept out of the office. We're like, and if you've ever been in Beijing, Beijing traffic is just insane. And so like, next thing I know, I'm realizing we're like an hour and a half driving to the city and it's nuts. And we almost die like six times, it feels like. And I realized then that my briefcase is back in the office and I'm like, my passport's in there. Oh. I have no ID. I'm like, nothing. Oh my I'm going to die in Beijing and it's all going to be, you know, and just so used to, I'm not used to traveling at that point. And so I just, that was my start of going, you know what, actually, there's a lot of really, you know, for all the negative elements in the world, there's a lot of really good people who are just excited to spend time with you. Yeah. And, and honestly, if you just breathe, a lot of times things just kind of work out. But right. after, uh, after I got done at Hewlett Packard, I started traveling. I started working with some nonprofits um, around my second year in business in like Western Europe. And that started kind of expanding some of that. But then when the consulting really started taking off, about, honestly, it was a number of years. I really had a big stretch in the early days when I wasn't traveling my, I was traveling mostly to Western Europe, so a lot of time in France, like Paris, uh, Paris, Portugal, south of France, Spain, Hungary, um, kind of mostly that section of Europe. Mm-hmm. And then um, had a couple of years where I didn't travel much, got pretty burned out. And one night um, I was shopping back to my hotel room was like, Mike, if you don't put some kind of trip on your calendar, like you're never going to do it because the calendar should be getting filled up. So that night I found the credit card that had enough. I was, the business was pretty precarious in the early days. I'm like, <laughs> which credit card has enough? I can put it on. I'll pay for it later, <laughs> which I don't recommend to everybody today, but I was desperate. And I thought, you know, I grew up hiking, but I hadn't really done much hiking at the time. I wasn't like this hardcore hiker guy. Um, but I grew up being in the woods and outdoor. And I thought, well, I, I can maybe do that again. I'm more of a suit and tie guy now. 
But next thing I know, I was like, I'm going to go to Machu Picchu. Didn't know a thing about Machu Picchu. <laughs> didn't know where I was going. And in the process of that, I came across a company called One Seed of Hunting for that. I came across a company called One Seed Expeditions. And so if anybody's looking for just to jump on a trip, honestly, they're your folks. Um, awesome. They, One Seed Expeditions out of Colorado, out of Denver. And so Chris Baker, who went to Yale, Chris worked for Kiva for a number of years and just lo- he ran the hiking. He's a member of the hiking club and ended up with working for Kiva in Nepal. And got to know a lot of the guides, and you got he got passionate about um, just the guides that that basically carry people to see these amazing parts of the world. And he founded a company called One Seed Expeditions that started in Nepal, and they wanted to change the face of international expeditions. And because they realized that mostly it was conglomerates who would barely pay these guides, and the guides would sort of kind of cheat the companies, and it was all kind of understood and you know, whatever, and kind of just did that. He's like, no, we're going to change that. So 10% of all their revenue goes back to the area that they're hike, that you're hiking in. So whatever area you're in, that money goes there. They have the highest paying, paying of the guides. They profit share. They only hire local guides from the area you're in. And the reason I know all this is because I jumped, I signed up for his, for One Seed's inaugural season in Chile and Patagonia. And I thought I was joining a group and then everybody else who had signed up for that same group canceled, leaving me alone. Oh, gosh. And so Chris, who's the CEO of the company, he's like, I'm going to be in town for the launch. And we got to meet. And I just heard his vision of going, we want to change the face of what it means. And so it's, you know, you know, changing, you know, it's like exploring the world, you know, and I think changing the lives of people. I can't remember what it was tagline is. It's really good. And I'm butchering it right now. But And he's like, well, you know what, Mike? Here's the thing. We want you to have an experience, and we're getting off the ground. So guess what? If you want, you can have a one-on-one guided trek through Chile and Patagonia towards Del wow. Paine for a week. So That's they called awesome. Roberto Carlos, and Roberto Carlos and I, at the time, he could barely speak English, and I could barely speak Spanish. And <laughs> we spent eight days together in the mountains in Torres Del Paine in southern Chile, um, right, off, right out of Puerto Natales, and it changed my life. I put it on the calendar, and the act of being out there, just the magnitude of it, um, the, honestly, the space it created in my head uh, was transformative. And I realized that in that space, I found a whole lot of room to unpack things that in the rush of my life I had shoved in boxes about, like, what did I want to go next? What did I want to do? And it just – it was a mix of the questions I could ask myself in a space that would allow me to ask anything. And PDG Adventures was born because I was like, I got to share this with other people. Even if this is simply an excuse to write off trips to Patagonia, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and so I came back and started saying, who wants to go? And so we started. And honestly, we're still just kind of ramping up. It's been five, four and a half, five years now. But uh, because of that, I think I've done Torres del Paine. I've done the circuit. We've done the W down there. I've done it five times. Did the Machu Picchu, did Salkantai Pass. Um, just did, um, just did a, a, just did a, a pilot trip. We've got it on the books to do the three passes to Everest base camp. Cool. And, and out of all that though, it just, you know, Roberto Carlos and I became friends. Like this guy became my brother and just, and it's amazing when you meet these guides, um, like Roberto, I'm like, he's like, well, I went to college and I sat there for three weeks and I was studying engineering and I just knew he had grown up in the mountains and grew up on the estancias down there and was like, I belong in the mountains. Mm. And so went back, so dropped out of college, went back in as a guide, 
He's the head of the guide association there, put his siblings through college as a guide and his sister through law school and all these things on a guide salary. And wow. so people think, oh, guides, these are people who like to be in the woods. These are cons- the people I'm meeting in these spaces are consummate professionals who are passionate about conservation and the rocks and the trees. And they want you to experience and just truly my friend Jorge Cordovalo, he always says, Many people come to Patagonia, but very few see it. Mm. It's like, it's a different thing. And wow. he became brother. And so, in fact, a couple of years ago, we had an emergency on one of our trips. I had a, a client with a pre-existing condition and literally almost died. And Roberto saved his life. And so we built enough of a bond that night and that week yeah. between the two of us that um, I was like, my friend, what do you want to do? Is there anything in your life you want to do? And he was like, I've always dreamed of seeing the Himalayas. And so when it came time to pilot this trip to Nepal this past fall, I was like, all right, we'll fly you there. And so I wow. got him on a plane. And so I called the guys at one seat and I said, why don't we do a, a training swap? If you'll, if you'll pay for the guiding for Roberto Carlos, he'll do some with your guides there and back and forth. And so I pulled an airline ticket and one seed kind of sponsored the rest of it for him. And we, the two of us together trekked, um, trekked the road to Everest. Wow. So, That's so cool. I love I just, that. I just love, I mean, I just, I think back again, follow the relationship. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, and it it really is because, you know, my world makes almost no sense to him. He's like, you do what? And I'm like, yeah, I fly around the world and people pay me to have somebody to talk to and help and make decisions about hiring (laughs) and coaching. He's like, oh, okay. Can I have more Daphne Group t-shirts? I'm like, yes, Roberto, (laughs) you can. (laughs) You know, meanwhile, this is a guy who thinks every, who spends day in, day out, weeks at a time, just thinking about the welfare and well-being of someone else while at the same time creating an experience for our clients. So when they land, from the moment we land to the moment we leave, like you don't think about anything. He just manages all that in his head. And it's just, yeah, there's just something about that. And I think, you know, the the way self-awareness changes that how do you find a place? Anybody can travel to a place and you can see it and you can get a nice tan and you can you know, make sure that your Instagram feed looks really great. But what does it mean to actually go and be and interact and give yourself away? Um, and even, even just giving yourself away and being kind and present. And yeah. so for me, One Seed, the, um, the One Seed's our back-end partner. So TDG Adventures was born. But then I started getting more and more passionate, really out of Chile, I think, just seeing their passion for doing, because 10% of all of it goes to microfinance in the areas. But <clears throat> I have a big heartbeat. Um, for people who are trying to build and create businesses and organizations in fragile or conflict-affected environments. And so in 2011, I got invited to Afghanistan for the first time. And so my, I was kind of seeing somebody at the time, and she was, made a, she was reading Under a Thousand Splendid Suns, which is about Afghanistan, yeah. and kind of posted something on Facebook, and someone said, well, do you ever want to see Afghanistan? And she was an educator, and they said, we're looking for some teachers and trainers for a project for some nonprofits in Kabul. And... She's like, I'm going to go to Afghanistan. And I was like, that's amazing. And she's like, you're the only person who thinks this is a good idea. <laughs> and I was like, and for me, the way my brain works, I was like, are you kidding me? To be invited in to the pinch point of the world yeah. and offer the chance to do good. Yes, it's a risk, but, you know, hey. And so I ended up, she's like, why don't you come? And so next thing I know, I get a call and they said, and that started my relationship with Afghanistan. Wow. Um, and I started coming in. In fact, I, I'm leaving Saturday for Afghanistan. I'm going to Dubai, Afghanistan, and India for the next month. Wow. Um, 
into this weekend. And so with that, just started getting passionate about helping these small business owners and meeting these people. And one thing I'm learning about travel is, man, when you go and really meet people in worlds as different as Central Asia from the States, or now I spend a lot of time in Honduras and Costa Rica. Um, I do some work there and different things like that. Like when you start to go there and experience this, you start to realize how the definition of words don't mean what you think they mean. Like it's a whole different ball game. And so courage, you know, is something that some people live with every single day. Like they just choose to go, you know what? I'm confronted by something I'm afraid of. I find a truth bigger than my fear and then I take action. I mean, I've been teaching strengths finder workshops with a collection of 10 women who it's a, it's a student run collection of Muslim women and they're a full cover. None of them speak English and we're teaching strengths finder in Afghanistan. And these women, all they do is build relationships with women on campus to let women on campus know what their rights are under the new Afghan government so that no one can, no one can intimidate them out of being in classes. Wow. And so we're going to do StrengthsFinder. And they're laughing and giggling because they don't understand how this foreigner, me, can know what they're thinking <laughs> with StrengthsFinder. But we're in the middle of that and a bomb goes off. Oh, gosh. A block, basically probably about a mile away. And so it was far enough we could hear it and feel it. You feel the sonic boom. And so we stop. And I'm thinking class is over. And they're like, no, 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 just wait a minute or two. If there's no second bomb, we can go on. Whoa. <laughs> and you're like, okay, all right. And I'm like, yeah, so this is what courage looks like. Right. This is what they do. This is how yeah. they live. And yeah. there's something about, about the people I meet. You start to realize that generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. It has to do with the choice of realizing that what you have doesn't define you. And so therefore it can be shared. You know, you realize that courage is not about doing something and just forcing yourself to do it no matter what. It's about taking a fear and finding a greater truth that overwhelms that fear so that action becomes the only answer. You know, there's yeah. different elements, but I am learning this through these people I meet whose paradigm is completely different than my own. Yeah, that's an incredible story. Just And that's something I have never experienced and I like I can't even imagine what that's like and how it like what kind of courage it takes to live that way. And I find that extremely inspiring. Um, yeah. They, it's, it's, these people are just, they, they kind of move you, yeah. you know, and, and on a, on a, on a weekend throwaway trip a few years ago, I met a guy in Honduras and he used to work for Pepsi years ago, opening pizza huts across Honduras. He's a Honduran <laughs> and he went, moved to Costa Rica and decided that he was going to create an inner, they created a program, the inner city in Barrio, Mexico in San Jose, Costa Rica. And he was like, you know what, we're going to train people who can't get jobs because they don't have the GED certificates and other things, people that are former, they were former drug addicts and he starts doing this. And then he said to me, one day I realized everybody wants to train the marginalized. Nobody wants, nobody wants to hire them. Hmm. So it's like, you know what, enough of this. I'm going to create, I'm going to make it my purpose to create 50 jobs that support families, like full-time jobs. Yeah. And he only hires the unhirable. These people are former sex workers, they're former convicts, like truly the unhirable. Yeah. And, and he's he, like, you're crazy. Within a year, he'd open one. Within nine months, he'd open two. And man, it's a slog just to really hold the thing together. Capital and interest rates. And, but I'm like, I try to give my time away. These people, you meet them, and then your story is forever changed. The yeah. reason to travel and act, not just see the world, but, but interact with it, is your own story is better told when it interacts with the story of someone else. Oh, yeah. I totally agree with that. 
That's and so that's true. the process. And that's been the process for me. And so even like going back to Afghanistan, I'm going to work with some groups that do, they sell jewelry and pottery and things like that, but they're backed by some, some other pieces. I'm going to do some work for all different organizations that some I can't even talk about just to support and protect them. Mm-hmm. But there's that and being with some people that are trying to just help some students in India and just, there's something about it. I'm like, I won't make any money. In fact, I'll probably, I'm going to lose a lot of money this month on it. But on, I don't say that to go, oh, gee, look at me as much as I really don't care yeah. because I'm like, I come back. When I walk into Chrysler, when I walk into, you know, some some corporation or Harris Resorts and Casino or whoever I'm talking to, like I have to, I work with these clients, like helping them understand jobs and things. When I walk in there, I am better because these people have made me sharper and helped me find a greater sense of what is really true and how do we define this. Yeah, that's so good and very true and wow, that's awesome. Um, cool. Well. I feel like I, there's been so much amazing information and incredible stories and um, I'm really excited that I got to talk to you. And I, I'm wondering if, if you could give me like a quick like takeaway or advice for people who want to live a meaningful life. Like what would that be? Yeah, I think, I think the takeaway, if, if you want to live a meaningful life, you know, I think – there's a couple of different pieces, just a couple of beats. One, you have to start by knowing what your own voice is so you can know what voices you shouldn't and should not, you should and shouldn't listen to. Like you can't know what is the voice of someone else wanting something from you or manipulating you or even helping you if you don't know what your own voice sounds like. And so for me, I would say you have to start with your identity. You've got to start with understanding who you are, whether that's using assessments or doing deep internal work or whatever that looks like. I think after identity, you really truly need to find ways and surround yourself with relationships that give you permission. Um, I think people underestimate the amount of impact their life can have is really, really shaped by the relationships they have. Is that the people around you have a huge impact on that because they either pull you down and and hold you back or they refine you, they challenge you, they ask certain questions. But in the end, we have to select our relationships just as intentionally as we would select the companies we would work at and the universities we'd go to. I think everyone matters, but I also have to be really clear on the fact that my relationships matter. And then I think courage, I'm always like identity permission, courage, when it comes to taking action, courage is in the small steps. And you have to really be intentional about the choices you're making. I always say we make choices every day that we'll choose for us later. And so people say, man, I feel like I just really want to change the world and I want to work with people in Africa around the whole famine that's going right now in South Sudan and the famine that's kicking in. And I go, I just wish I could, but I've got a mortgage. And I'm like, well, okay, you have a mortgage right now, but you won't have a mortgage forever. Someday that passion, maybe in a different area, will still be there. Are you saving? Like what's interesting is that courage is found in small moments, these small bites where you're like, you know what? I'm going to not spend money. I'm not going to get into a big debt thing like this. I'm going to choose to not buy a new car right now. It is these tangential, small transactional moments that keep us free. I'm going to choose to spend my early years paying down debt so that I have freedom to make the choices I want to make when it comes to me going, I can take a risk and step into this startup and get my time away for free. Why? Because I didn't rack up a whole bunch of extra debt on top of my student loan debt. I didn't, you know, it's the small choices that will make a huge difference when it comes to being free. But then the last one I think is generosity. Lives of impact, you have to know who you are and their identity. 
you have to have be surrounded by relationships that know that give and take and you guys are in a relationship that's based on permission. You have to make choices that are really courageous, but then you gotta find a way to be generous. You've got to see people. And I think some of those generous acts we can have is to see each other, to say, mm-hmm. I see you, yeah. and then go, you know what? And I'm willing to open my story to you so that you can open your story to me. Because when our stories mix, our lives change. And that generosity of, of perspective and embracing each other with both with our money, but also like our, just our time and our, and our forgiveness and grace for differences, that generosity will change our story if we let it. And I think that makes impact. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. um, My pleasure. I hope you have a great trip. This was fun. This was fun. You're wondering again? said about our stories being better told when they interact with the story of someone else. I've definitely found this to be true in my own life. I think about all the places I've been and people that I've met and that they've shaped me and made me who I am. So part of the value I add to different situations or communities or relationships that I'm a part of, um, that value comes from the experiences I've had intersecting with other people's stories. And I think that's true for all of us. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye.